Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. So happy to have you. Screw those headphones a little further into your fat head and let's get ready to roll here, folks. Episode 6, back with another illustrious guest. Going to grace our presence here on the air, folks. We have none other than Jamal Jammer Watson, former Lethbridge Hurricane, Swift Current, Broncos, Seattle, Thunderbird, and Mount Royal Cougar currently. About to embark on his fifth year with their program. Former teammate of my own in minor hockey and in the Western Hockey League. We got into a little bit of topics here. We got a little bit of a side tangent, but we covered a couple real big news pieces that are unfolding right below us that aren't getting the attention they deserve and something that has quite a big connection to Jamal and myself. So we won't get any to that any further, but that's coming up very soon. Just finished that interview with him. He was a great guest. We're definitely going to have to get Jamal on. We uh, have. It turns out there's lots you can cover, and uh, we had him on for just over a half an hour, and then he had to run off and uh, a nice time there. He had to make his way to, uh, but I was really lucky to catch uh, to catch up with him. Hadn't seen him in a couple of years. Uh, it's an absolute shame not being in Calgary as much as I have been the, the last couple of years. I've been kind of a ghost, so it was really nice to get back into town. I was hoping to snag a couple more interviews, but. We worked so hard on that vaccine, so hopefully you'll be able to download that onto your phones uh, by by December, and uh, we'll we'll have some more good things there for you. But got some good receptions on last week's financial information. It was really fun to do. Uh, hopefully we're gonna have Jonah back on because I think we got a lot of people struggling there. We need people making cash, and um, this is a platform that's gonna help you get to the top. And uh, I don't I don't think there's any other platform that's gonna give you the tools to uh, become your own arsenal really. So another episode that's going to do much of the same. Uh, It's been a good week. I am back in Ontario. I have made it back home. We had a successful week, like I said, um, trying to solve this COVID crisis. But I'm back in Ontario and uh, things are looking up, folks. I cannot believe we are nearing in on the end of August. What a fucking frightening thought. Uh, Been a crazy couple months, but summer's flown by. At least the weather's been good. Um, Lots of hockey been on. It's been hard to watch, though, honestly. Um, So many games going on at hilarious times of the day. But um, couldn't help but notice before the Flames bowed out. Gosh darn. Flames are out again. Leafs and Flames are out, my boys. Um, The two Canadian teams I care about. So now we literally just have the Vancouver Canucks playing for Canadian teams. I'd rather smash my head off a table than uh, cheer for them. I despise the Canucks. So we'll be definitely taking a different route for fandom for the rest of the playoffs. But... Before the Flames kicked rocks, which is another story, um, our boy Mike Milbury was making some brash headlines for comments he made, derogatory comments he made towards women. Uh, in a, I believe it was the Washington game, the Washington game when they got eliminated. He said that the boys shouldn't be distracted because there are no women in the bubble to distract them. And this obviously got a lot of people raising eyebrows because, well, first of all, what a fucking idiot. I don't know why you'd say that. Um, if you see Mike Milbury's name in the headlines, you can assume that it's not uh, f- for really making a, a smart claim. Let's assume that. He uh, kind of has a bad reputation. He's kind of gotten the, the, you know, the look of like an American Don Cherry. And everyone hates Don Cherry too, right? So I got to imagine that he's going to be fired soon. He uh, was taken off the rest of their broadcasts for all the playoffs. So I imagine at some point he'll be fired, which is wild. I mean, he's been on TV as long as I can remember. And in no way am I defending what he said. But at what point do we forget that this guy at one point was hopping the glass and beating the fuck out of people with their own shoes in an NHL game? So 
I don't think we should as much be surprised as um, is a comment that this might be expected from a man like Mike Milbury. Um, I don't get why there's a lot of people freaking out, and for good reason. What he said, again, was absolutely ridiculous. But I don't get this herd mentality of everyone, everyone just coming for his head, being like, Mike Milbury, we can't get, we can't get anyone on the air but Mike Milbury? I'm like, just shut up, man. Like, don't listen to him then. Like, do we, I don't know. I, I certainly wasn't using Mike Milbury as my measurement for great judgment before. And I certainly am not again. It's just funny how we're going to have this mob mentality. They're going to, they're going to get rid of him. Milbury's gone, which is probably a good thing anyways. But like, when someone like that says something to me, like, I don't really get offended. Because, I mean, like, I don't think we're talking about the smartest guy ever. Like, I don't think... I, Mike Milbury wasn't really my setting stone for social, social rights or social equality. I didn't think that he was the, the guy I was going to look to. I mean, at what point, what do you think Milbury thought? Do you think he had like earth shattering social policies for women? He was going to like go on there and just like spread joy? No, he was making a stupid comment that in a way is definitely blown out of proportion. But I mean, what he said was definitely stupid. And I can't speak for how women feel on an issue like this. I mean, I'm not someone that has been objectified by men my entire life like some people unfortunately have. And I mean, it's pretty hilarious that in 2020 that this guy, he just can't be saying that on, on, it's just unbelievable. So enough of that. I'm sure he'll get canned. Like, why can't we throw on someone like Sean Avery and just let him go wild? I mean, he wouldn't say stuff like that, but he'd be certainly entertaining. We should have like a, an R-rated sports show I always thought like what if you could like choose the channel of the commentators that you were going to have commentate the game you wanted to listen to what if we had like one that was just comedians and they just went on nuts like Bob Menery I always thought about that you could go watch the game but then they had different channels of commentators on it wouldn't that be cool maybe something to think about I'd love to be a play-by-play commentator I was going to go to school for it I really wanted to do it but I just at this point I don't see it I I've briefly had a job as an esports commentator. I was going to commentate esports NHL games. It was NHL 19 at the time over in Finland. And I was going to do this in university, but my laptop couldn't host the streams. So there goes my play-by-play career. I mean, right? How am I going to get it now? I just don't have, I just don't have the chance. So, I mean, we'll forget about that. But a lot of noise has been making by our, our boy Kevin Bieksa on Hockey Night in Canada. He's getting a lot of love for his analysis on the panel. And I'll be honest, the panel could use some help. I mean, I don't know. I, it, I think he's honestly a breath of fresh air, which is nauseating to me because I am not a big BXA fan. I was not ever a BXA fan, especially due to his time as a Vancouver Canuck where he drove me nuts. I kind of thought he picked his spots a little bit, especially back in the day when the Canucks were playing the Chicago Blackhawks. And I think that was the series Chicago went on to win the Cup. But Someone called him out. I think it was someone tough like Boland or Bolig or whoever the heck was their tough guy at the time. Uh, Bieksa wanted nothing to do it. Do with it. He ended up going on and beating the wheels off Victor Stahlberg and was waving to the crowd, knocking like a big nail, and it just drove me nuts ever since then. But I will say he's doing a damn good job on the air right now with Hockey Night in Canada. I mean, it's unfortunate that I'm sure someone will report him that he passed a note and swore in it in like third grade and then Someone will get their hands on that, and they'll probably fire him for that too because everyone's going, folks. We're, uh, we're doing background checks on everyone, and everyone's got to go, apparently. Everyone's going to get canned at some point. I mean, it's, com- every- it's coming for everyone. Eventually, we're just going to have Siri. We're going to all have Siri commentate our, our sports games, 
and Siri's going to be the actor in all of her favorite shows because no one else will be qualified because everyone will have done too much dumb shit over the years. So it's just, it's too bad to see. This is the death of art. Uh, my podcast will probably be shut down after this episode because I was blacklisted by the federal government and they called me today and told me to shut the fuck up. So that's where I'm at, folks. Um, let's get to the interview, though. Jamal's a beauty. Um, I wish we could have had this interview in person. Maybe we could have videotaped it and somehow me and him could have had a dance off because, man, this guy can move. The only thing I didn't do in this interview was make him move. Played with this guy in the Western League. And we used to do like a jump around, you know, like sounds stupid, but for warm up, like we'd dance, we'd all get stupid. Jamal would always lead it and he'd always cap it off by doing like a running backflip. He'd like, he would run through the dressing room and run up the counter that had like all this tape and stuff on it for our sticks. And he would do a backflip and it was pretty wild. It was honestly a pretty incredible thing to see. It used to get me fired up and getting kind of fired up just talking about it. So why don't we stop getting fired up talking about it and let's throw it over to the big man, the big body, Jamal, Jammer Watson, Jammer. We had a coach when we played in Lethbridge, Matt Kabayama used to always call him Jammer. We had this thing on the penalty kill. They'd call it the egg beater. And I can still remember this day just hearing all over the boards. Jammer! Get the egg beater going, buddy! Ooh, baby! Here we go. Jamal interview time, baby. Let's get after it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode six of the project. Happy to have you. Once again, it's your host, Hopsy, as they call me. Here with a wonderful guest today. The pride of Royal Oak, a glorious Calgary native, a product of the Northwest Calgary Athletic Association, a strong tenure in the Western Hockey League with the Lethbridge Hurricanes, captain for a year, Seattle Thunderbirds, Swift Current Broncos, and just finished his fourth year with the Mount Royal University hockey team, the Cougars. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jamal Watson. Welcome to the show, Jamal. How are you doing today? I'm good, Harry. How's it going, my man? It's been forever. It's been way too long. We were just saying, I talked to you on the phone right before we started this recording, and it's been too long, man. It's been a couple of years since I feel like I've even seen you, so it's really good to have you on the show, man. How you doing? I'm good. Just uh, enjoying the last little bit of summer here, one week, and then back to the grindstone with school and back to, uh, I guess, kind of real life for, I was going to say, the last, uh, last year of uh, hockey, kind of being a student thing. Absolutely. So you're going into your fifth year on the men's hockey team with Mount Royal and recently made the transition to defense, which I just found out, which is absolutely hysterical. Um, but you're, so you're, you got one more year. Are you planning on taking it uh, past school if you can? Yeah, for sure. I know, uh, I think the plan is to go play pro afterwards. Obviously, uh, that can change at any kind of moment, just kind of depending what kind of happens. I know, uh, with the COVID times, it's a little bit tougher for pro guys to get contracts and stuff like that, but hopefully everything falls into place. And I found a new position as a right-handed defenseman. So um, it'll be a little bit of a different learning curve if I get to the pro levels as uh, I thought I'd be a forward my whole life, but apparently defense might be my forte now, which is hilarious. <laughs> That's actually so wild. Like to think that you'd change like positions at whatever age you are, 25 now. Yeah. Like, I, I, I know. Remember- uh, I know it, uh, it was kind of an accident, but I wanted to wear number two on forward this year um, just, just for the jokes. And I love Kawhi Leonard and the Raps won the championship. So I mean, I told everyone if they won the, the championship, I'd switch to number two. But all of a sudden, I started playing D, so no, it what didn't look as funny as it uh, was originally going to if I was playing number two playing on the right wing. 
Number two is kind of an absolute like underrated nails number. I think doesn't get any credit. Oh yeah, like that number actually looks like cool as hell on the jersey, and like when you when you see it, it just looks clean. Like I don't, I it doesn't get enough love. I don't think. No, I I tr- I don't. I tried to wear it from I wore it in Bantam till end of midget. Didn't catch on though. I I left it after that. But I'm glad to see someone's going back to a classic number like two. That's you right. and I, I'm just saying, we would have met. You and I played Bantam hockey together. Played for the Northwest Calgary Broncos. We had an unreal team. And um, then we ended up, we were lucky enough to play in the Western League together. We played together in Lethbridge. So we had a couple stops. And um, just touch a bit, I guess, on your experience in the Western League, man. Like you were fucking spoiled rotten in a way. Like you got to play 328 games, man, over five years. Just quickly touch on your time in the Western League. Um, yeah, no, uh, I was one of the lucky ones to have a nice, nice long career, um, stayed fairly healthy, got to play in a few different places. Um, I'd say, like you said, I got the 328 games, but you always have to remember, I didn't play a single playoff game. So I guess that's kind of the downside to it. But my time in the Western Hockey League was, uh, obviously one of the best things. Like I'm still friends with so many guys, like including yourself. Uh, you remember guys like Graham Hood, Dan Johnson, Brody Sutter, um, there's so many guys that obviously nowadays that, um, I still hang out with. And obviously when I get a chance to see him, it's always good things and always chatting. And, um, our time in Lethbridge, as you know, my four years was one of the best times of my life. Seattle was a cool experience being in, uh, American towns. Uh, Seattle's a cool city. Everyone should take a visit there. And then Swift Current, one of the smallest towns in the world, being a part of that community was something different, but I enjoyed that place so much as well. Seriously, you were lucky. You got to, you know, you got a good chunk of a of a your career in one town being Lethbridge, but then you know you did get to da- get down there and see an American city in the league, and then you finished your career in Swift Current. And I was trying to find a, a picture of you in a Broncos jersey, and I couldn't find one. Do you do you have one anywhere? Oh yeah, I got I got I got a couple floating around. Um, I think it was I was only there for. What, a couple months, two and a half months, maybe. So there's only a few, but uh, Swift Current's PR isn't quite the same as everywhere else. As you obviously know, a town of like what? Like it can't be more than like 10,000 people. I loved the barn though. There was something about oh. that barn. I thought it was just classic. The Iplex was awesome because like if you ever got tired, you just flick the puck up at the Jumbotron, you just get it changed and it's not a big deal. They had to have the lowest roof in junior hockey. Oh, them and the Art Hauser, man. Like, it felt like the, it was, the roof was on top of your head every time you're skating up and down the ice. Absolutely. But there was, honestly, there were some gem barns in that in that league. And I guess, I don't know, should we just go, like, part of the reason we wanted you to come on this podcast was because I guess the league as a whole and one of our former clubs is in a little bit of a hot water situation due, due to some allegations that have come out, uh, what was that, about a month ago, two months ago? Yeah. Yeah, about a couple months, I'd say. Yeah, so pretty, uh, not from left field, I guess you'd say, but like, I guess it was pretty, pretty out there, I guess, hearing this, waking up one day, seeing on the news that it was uh, former Lethbridge Hurricanes player Garrett Taylor and former NHL veteran and Stanley Cup champion Daniel Carcillo joined together with a lawsuit against the entire CHL and partially directed at was it Sarnia Carcillo played for? Yeah. Yeah. So Sarnia and Lethbridge were obviously the teams being uh, obviously in question here with these two players formally playing for them, but like they're obviously going on to say um, they weren't treated very well. And I will say just quickly, I think 
so they, they write it all. There's a huge, like, is it an indictment? Is that the word, Jamal? An indictment? Yeah, I think the word, I think the word be like almost indictment, like a statement on it. And like, when you read that statement, it's almost like, it's shocking. in the fact that like, that happened, like, what was it? Like two years before we got there. Like it wasn't that long. No, these, like, I looked at uh, the roster that year. There was multiple guys, like multiple guys you played with and several guys I played with as well that were on the team when this allegation was going on. And um, I, I guess I, I want to just quickly scroll to, I guess, some of the things they were saying. Like, what I guess I guess what's actually their honest complaints here of what's what how they were treated. So Garrett Taylor, he played – parts of the 2008-2009 season and he played a couple games in the 2009-2010 season but during his time in 2008-2009 he was 17 year old rookie player with the Lethbridge Hurricanes and at one point was asked to engage in a fight with an older player in a practice in order to fire up his squad and in doing so I guess he and several other players asked to do so got injuries and I believe that was the gist of it other than the coach apparently also bought liquor for a rookie party. <laughs> Am I missing one, anything else? Like, I, I don't even know. This, like the one about fighting in practice, like, okay, maybe like a little far fetched. Like normally you'd hear a guy talk about like, all right, we need a spark out there. Like you want to make the team like, let's, let's show some toughness. Like let's go fight someone on the other team kind of thing. I guess the practice ones, like maybe like a little intensity, like you, we've had, we had a few practice scraps. Like when I was there, like it's part of it. Like that one wasn't shocking. Like I don't, I don't, from my perspective, just kind of the way it looks at it, it's almost like he's being asked to do something that's like pretty normal and like fighting was part of like a larger part of the game then. Like it was something we had to do. And it's like, it's something that is part of our role. Like part of your role is like, trying to make the team at that age and like trying to stay in the lineup. Like, you know, how hard it is to get in and out. Like you get in and out, you have to do anything to stand out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know, like reading that from someone that um, I experienced it myself, like that's just kind of something that it's obviously not, I don't think I can't imagine the coach like seriously confronted him and said like, you have to go scrap and practice right now. I can't no. imagine that that is actually how it, and if it did go down, like, yeah, that's a little odd for a coach to present it that way, but I, I can't imagine that that was how it was presented. But I think anyone that's played the game kind of knows, like, this might sound hilarious for someone who doesn't understand hockey that well, but, like, that's not that crazy, I don't think. No, and, it's not that crazy at all. Like, I and, remember after one of my uh, – we came back from Christmas break. Like, I got in a fight with a guy in practice just because I finished my check and, like, I was like, well, we got to bring up the intensity here. Like, let's bring it back. And then we won the game right after uh, – we won the game like right after Christmas and our coach was like fired up about the fact he's like, yeah, that's the intensity we need to bring. Like keep doing that. And I'm like, yeah, it's not a huge deal. Like what's, what's the, what's the worst is going to happen. Like it's a fight among fight amongst brothers. And then everyone sits there. All right, that's good. And then, okay, move on. Let's go. hundred percent. And and I agree with that mentality hundred percent. And I've seen that firsthand, but I guess the end of this little statement, I guess, is where they're trying to make their serve. They're saying Taylor was seriously concussed during the one fight and practiced, and he and other team members suffered other injuries during such fights. So he's implying that this happened like more than one time. So I don't know what was going on. I mean, it doesn't sound, I mean, I'm hoping he's not getting hurt. Like I'm not wishing anyone's getting hurt in practice or anything, but I feel like 
I hope that this is just kind of getting blown out of proportion and put in a statement to look very yeah. serious. Yeah. But then the, the other two things about it are he got apparently the garbage bag treatment, the garbage bag treatment, which is, I guess, <laughs> yeah, he you hear, you hear about in front of the in front of the whole team and kind of sent packing. And I mean, that sucks for sure. And I hope that that didn't happen either. But I mean, well, I thought, it, what's that, Jamal? I was going to say, like, in reality, like, <laughs> I think when I got traded from, uh, when I got traded from Seattle Swift Current, or sorry, from, yeah, from Seattle Swift Current, mine was basically like, hey, we just traded you. And I was like, um, okay. And they're like, can you leave the bag? I was like, no. Like, why would I leave the bag? Like, it's almost, it, like, how do you, I can't see anyone getting traded and, like, receiving that garbage bag treatment and then basically told, like, in front of the boys, like, made fun of to say, yeah, pack your, pack your shit, let's go. But in reality, it's like every time that a guy got traded, it's nothing but respect. And it's like, Hey, just move on to the next kind of thing. Like I, it's, it's almost shocking to hear that. And I'm like, it, it was only two years before we got there and we played with guys like that. Like, I bet you they could test this. Like, I don't, I personally have never seen that happen, nor have I ever heard of that happening until like right now. No, that it, it definitely seems surprising and very surprising in the fact that it, Within weeks of this happening, there was a, an article released in the Lethbridge Herald, the, the local newspaper, and it had 28 members of that team that year of 2008-2009 signing it, saying that they felt nothing but respect and professionalism, professionalism pushed toward them by all other players, coaching staff, and whatnot. And I thought that says something right there to me. Like I feel like kind of an odd approach, no – I don't know Taylor. I'd never heard of, I don't remember Garrett Taylor. I don't know if you do Jamal. I never played with him, but mm-hmm. I, if this happened and this, and this is the way he felt, I feel like he could have done better by maybe banding together with some of the fellow players he had on the team that year, instead of going with Carcillo, who I'm assuming upon prior conversations about their experiences in major junior hockey and the negative ones, obviously, of such, I don't know if they have a relationship before this issue. And I just feel like it's just, if something was really wrong with Taylor, I don't, why I wish that he would have, I just, I don't know. And I'm not saying if this kid, if this is how he feels and he's saying that he has um, mental issues and whatnot today, and he's still feeling side effects from the way he was treated today. I don't, I'm not saying you should feel like that, but do you not agree? It's just kind of an odd route to just team up with Carcillo for this one. Yeah. And then like, if it, uh, like you said, in the newspaper, it said 28 players came to the defense of the team and the organization at that time to say, no, like there was nothing really going on here. That's like stated in this case. So like, unless the reality of it is there, like 28 guys are on the same page to say, Hey, we're just going to protect the Lethbridge hurricanes, which I mean, there's no way that'll happen. Like to get 28 guys to say the exact same thing kind of seems odd. And like, if the way he said it was, well, there's multiple guys kind of in practice saying that, yeah, there's, they want a, mul- a multitude of us to go fight and stuff like that. I'm sure those guys would feel in the same boat to say, well, we think that's kind of garbage too. So let's all stand up. But it was he being the odd one out in this situation. It's kind of odd that he went to like Daniel Carcella, who's like an OHL player over in Sarnia. And like who right now currently is just kind of in a battle with the NHL and everything about like treatment and stuff like that, that to say that, yeah, no, this is what happened. And it's like, well, I don't understand your take of 
there's 28 people that are saying the opposite of what you are. So how does that look? And it's like, obviously the same thing where it's like, you don't want it to be true. And like, you've heard every single thing, but it's like, from this point, I'm kind of like the outside looking in. Um, it's almost like, well, how come you're the only one who seemed to have this horrible kind of horrible kind of experience when 28 other guys seem to be fine. Like you never see that within a hockey organization or a hockey team. No, it's definitely, I mean, it's just, I don't know. What do you say at that point when there's a response that quick and that swift with numbers to back it up? I mean, I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know the legal process about how this is supposed to be worked in because this now connects all the entire CHL. So all the Quebec league, Ontario league and the Western league, they're all, they're all lumped in now to this. This is a, this isn't a small issue. Like this is a, this is a pretty big deal. And I'm very interested to see how it'll play out. Like Carcillo's accusations are pretty disgusting. Um, I don't know. This is, straight, this is straight from like the document. I'm reading it online right now. It says during showers, rookies were required to sit in the middle of the shower room naked while older players urinated, spat and spat saliva and tobacco chew on them at least once. And the head coach had walked in in the shower and did nothing but laugh and walk out. Um, like what? What is going on yeah. over in Ontario if that's the case? That's what, I don't know. And I don't know, man. I don't know, but like, I feel like maybe you and I lucked out, Jamal, like being early 2000s guys breaking into the like major junior scene, junior hockey scene. Like maybe hazing had died down to a point because like this is supposed to be 2002, he's talking about. So that's yeah. like a, yeah. 10 years before we were playing in the league. Like, this is another, this, like, I've heard, I've heard of this one before. Um, on road trips, rookies would be stripped naked and sent into the bus bathroom eight at a time. Older players would tape the boys' clothes up in a ball, which were then thrown in the bathroom. The boys were not allowed out until they were fully dressed, which could take hours. Older players would pour chew, saliva, and urine on them through the bathroom vents, which just sounds absolutely absurd. Oh, I, horrific. I, I don't know. I, I, I hope not. Like, I couldn't imagine, like, at the time, like, if anyone even asked like to do that, like I'm pretty sure everyone on our team, like our set of rookies that we had, I was like, they'd tell us the, like, like, no, like I'm not doing that. I refuse. And like at the time, if that was like, wasn't going on, like obviously hockey took like a major stride forward in like eight years. Well, hundred percent. Like I just, that's what I mean. Like that's not that big of a window. No, of a time, like yeah. a change. Like yeah. we're talking a decade, like, if you read, Carcillo has like, he has um, A to I in points. Like he has A to I in examples, a bunch of different ones. Like this is, this is what I just, this is F. Older players would organize orgies at house parties. Rookies would be required to take part in sexual acts while older players watched and took part. Like what? <laughs> like, what like come this? on. What league is this, man? <laughs> like you don't, like... In 2002, this is going on. Like, that is chaos. That is chaos at the age of 16 to 20. Like, come on. Like, I, like it had to have been such a drastic change in those eight to 10 years, like, from when they were playing to we were. I'm like, like, nothing even comes close to that that I've ever heard of or seen or, like, like nothing. And that's what's, like, shocking about it. Nothing. No, I honestly, like, I just – it doesn't make any sense to me. His is – like Carcillo's is very, very detailed. Like I said, 
Garrett Taylor has points A, B, C, and D of the uh, of how he was treated. Carcillo yeah. A to H, and Carcillo played ten years before Taylor. Yeah, obviously Taylor only played one year, so maybe his experiences were limited because of that. Carcillo having a longer career, but one, I don't know. I don't want to say this and sound like a dickhead, but like, what are your thoughts on Carcillo right now? I, like, I don't know. The weird thing about Carcelo, man, is, like, everyone seems to think that he's just kind of, like, the shit disturber and everything right now. Like, his uh, – the way he's been interacting with the NHL and, like, hockey, it's almost like like he has such a vendetta against it. Like, that's the only way, like, I can describe it is, like, well, I want to take down this whole kind of organization. Well, it's like, like, Daniel, I don't – like, if your experiences were this horrible and stuff like that, like, I'm not discounting that, like, this didn't happen. But at the same time, it's kind of like, man, like, how many different things went on, like, at some point? Like, were you always the victim in this? Or were you part of it? Like, what? I don't understand kind of the angle. Because, like, you can't even attest, like, after your first year in junior, your first your first year, like, things get way easier. Like, you just become a, not even the first year, it's like the first 10 games. Like, how come it's, it seemed to be dragging on for so long. It's almost like shocking that he was kind of like always seemed to be like in the outside looking in when in reality, like I think every single person you could talk to, like after your first 10 games, like nothing is that bad anymore. It's And it's, it's just so odd to me that like, this is all coming out like after it seems to be what in anyone's eyes would be a dream NHL career winning a Stanley cup going on and being a successful hockey player. Like, I don't remember. I'm going to go look it up right now. Like I'm assuming he was pretty good in the OHL. If he went on and had the career that he did, like he played, I'm looking at it right now. He was a third round pick his rookie year in the OHL. He had 66 points. He had 29 goals. I'm not discrediting that he had like a bad time, but like he certainly wasn't having a bad time on the ice. <laughs> like dude, like 20 his first year and you, you throw, you have 29 goals. Like, and then his second year, 30 goals. Him? Like, that's yeah, an like, unbelievable year. Nails. Like, so nails. And I'm not saying that you can't, you know, mentally be in the in the weeds when you're, you know, performing on the ice. But I I just I, – I understand everything that he's fighting for, and I believe that there's good cause to what he's trying to go at. But I just don't like the way he's maneuvering around the topics, if that yeah. makes sense. It's just, yeah, I see what you mean. It's very odd to me. I, and, like – I the the CHL has been getting their teeth kicked in lately. Like they got this coming at them. They have, what's the other lawsuit they're in with the boys are trying to get money now. Yeah. It's the one with uh, the plaintiffs that just got approved. Like we're all getting letters in the mail and stuff to say like, yeah, no, they have to pay out $30 million in damages and we'll find out September 15th. if like, we're allowed to make a claim. And it's just like, that one's based on like um, being um, underpaid and stuff like that. And like, Obviously, like, there's some points that were, like, I agree. It should have been, like, a little bit more. Like, I was making $83 at 16 years old. Like, what can you do with $83 in today's day and age? Like, obviously. But, like, the fact is, like, they're complaining, like, yeah, we're overworked and all this. And, like, we're at the rink for a long time. I was, like, man, you have a place to live. All your gear is paid for. Everything's paid for on the road. You have a scholarship program. Like, all that money is kicked back in some way, shape, or form. Like, if you want to be paid, like, a – like a thousand dollars like there's so many things that they're going to lose out on it's almost like it's it's unbelievable like how bad the chl has just been getting it the last like year year and a half oh 100 like 
again, I, I fully agree. I'm on your side of that one too. Like, I only played like I played less, like, way less than 100 games in the WHL. Played like over parts of two years, but like every moment I was there was honestly, just, I was just thankful to be in the league. Yeah. Like I at no point was I ever expecting that maybe my situation would have been a little different. Maybe if I was lighting the league up, like I was mm-hmm. just happy to be there in a way, but like, I just can't imagine them paying the players is going to make them get benefit in any way better. Like what's a 16 year old got to get paid out like on ticket sales because he's 16, he's in 11th grade. Like he's a junior hockey player. Yeah. Like he's you, professional athletes. yeah. Like, I get the fact that, like, obviously, I think they need to change the numbers a little bit because, like, the the stipends and, like, the money and stuff obviously was based off, like, what? When the league started in, like, 19-whatever. But mm-hmm. the fact is, is, like, yeah, if you increase it to, like, what the 20-year-olds are making, like, 300 bucks a month, I think that's plenty. It doesn't need to be anything more than that because, like, like you said, you have a place to live. Everything's given up, given to you. Like, wait, what more money do you need from like revenue sales and stuff like that? Or like Jersey names? Like this isn't like the NCAA where we're making $60 million. Like most of these teams run at a deficit anyways. Seriously. And you're getting treated like arguably better than like, if you're not in the NHL, like arguably better than anywhere else. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like it's actually wild. And like, I, it, I don't know. I won't speak on it because I just feel like it's such a like major junior hockey is such a privilege to have. And, now these the whole league's just getting hammered by all this. Like it's and I be, think that's what people coronavirus too. it's gonna be hard to put anyone in the seats, I feel like. It's, oh yeah. It's like it's it's I think people forget it's a privilege to play junior hockey. Like it takes hard work and dedication to get there. But like you have to remember once again, you're playing, you're doing something that you love. Like normally people don't get that opportunity to do certain things like that, or you don't have you don't have um the resources for all this stuff, but like when it comes down to it, it's a privilege and like they're providing every single thing. And like, I think that's what people forget. It's like, there's so much provided for you. Like the amount of times we'd hang out at your billet house after taco Tuesday and stuff like that, or the amount of things your billets would do for you just to like um, make you part of the family and get you whatever you needed. Um, the thing, the things that, that like the small things that go unnoticed, like what do I need to have a portion of ticket sales revenue? But I mean, it is what it is. People people think that way, and obviously, like, there's people that are part of it, but it's it obviously needs a little readjusting, but I don't think the whole league needs to be turned upside down to say, well, we got to change this thing to a full-on professional league because that's not the point of it. No, I don't, th- I don't believe so at all. And I do agree that there's obvious, there's obvious tweaks that we could, you know, kind of throw in here and, and make some things, you know, run a little smoother. But to say that... And as far as the allegations go with the first lawsuit we're talking about, I mean, I'm hoping that a lot of that has just changed with the times. Maybe it was, you know, it's not as much, hopefully not, maybe not. It's just like a society thing, a societal thing. We're making a shift here. We're not, you know, people aren't chasing ninth graders around the school parking lot and beating the shit of them either on the last day of school. Like shit's changed. Like there's different stuff going on. So hopefully that's just all part of it. I don't think hazing is, I certainly don't, I Hazing wasn't an issue when I grew up. I can't imagine it's an issue now. Yeah, for sure. And like, like you said, just speaking on the societal thing, like we're, we're moving towards like a more inclusive and a more like society where it's like every single person's on equal standing, no matter like your age, um, where you're from or any single thing. Like you kind of see that in the Black Lives Matter kind of movement and like 
every single thing that's going on with sports and outside of that, there's, there's such a change towards that. And it's starting to change with the times. And like, I think it's just like part of evolution of society and human development. That's just exactly what happens. Things, people learn from their mistakes. People figure out what's going on. We just got to take the time to listen and kind of like get educated on stuff like this. Absolutely. And that's not to say that there aren't people suffering with what's happening and stuff doesn't need to change right now. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there's obvious unfortunate events that have happened and I'm hoping that we can learn from these and, and, and get on with it and, and be better people. I mean, I don't want to hear allegations like this going on and, and I hope that they're not true is all I can say, especially when a former team that, you know, you and I both proud alumni of gets involved. In, in Absolutely. Brought up. Absolutely. That's like, uh, you obviously think like all the great people we met there, like there's, it's, it's shocking and kind of be like part of it, but obviously you hope it's not true. And you hope that the organization was handled with class and every single thing, like from even before we were there. And like, even now, now that we're gone, like there's, there's going to be, there's obviously things that go on and like, I hope they handle everything the way they do. And like, I know Lethbridge is a professional organization, just like most places in the WHL, like there's nothing bad to say about it. 100%. So, I mean, I guess we'll just have to leave it at that and just hope that uh, that kind of just resolves itself, if you will. I mean, what else do you really say? But you've touched on it briefly about the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Obviously, what a shake in the world that's been the last couple uh, couple months here. What do you want to do? You want to give you an opportunity to say anything you want to say? I mean, I'm sure you've been pretty involved with that going on at Mount Royal University and back in Calgary. What are your thoughts on uh, what's been going on the last couple months? Yeah, no, it's uh, the Black Lives Matter. It's kind of been like, obviously, the forefront for me. Um, obviously, I'm a African-American, African-Canadian, I guess is what you'd call it, um, athlete. And um, my Black heritage, uh, obviously, you know, my dad, Wayne, He's uh, his family's from Jamaica. So this obviously hits home for me right away just to see, like, uh, the way the U.S. and, like, the George Floyd thing went down and all the protesting and, like, the push towards, like, social justice and change is, it's good to see like the education of everyone out there. I know I've received nothing but like kind words, everyone saying like sharing my posts and kind of talking on things to say like, Hey, we're here to listen. We're here to like, we understand that like your life and your reality is a little bit different than ours. Um, people are starting to become more in tune to that to say, yeah, what's going on in the world obviously isn't good. And for the only way for things to make changes, like, for everyone to get on the same page. I know it's MRU. We kind of had a chat with the president of the school about like the lack of uh, response to the Black Lives Matter and they've listened and they've started posting different things and they've started uh, being a part of um, trying to create a culture change to say like, we, we know the diversity aspect of everything isn't there and there's um, so much more that they can do. Like it's not enough to be like everyone's saying, it's not enough to be um, yeah, well, I don't say that, or I'm not racist. You have to be anti-racist. You have to push the envelope forward to say like, racism isn't okay. And it's something we need to get rid of our society. And like, you see things like, cause me and you played with Matt, obviously at, uh, Bantam AAA for him to take a kneel in the NHL, a situation where he is few and far between for the, um, black hockey players or players of color. It's, it's, it's very brave and courageous to see something like that. And obviously it makes me want to do my part. And like, I know I'm not on the same level as Matthew Dumba, but obviously I can do my part within MRU and within the city of Calgary and within my social group to spread the word to say, yeah, we need to make a change in society here. Absolutely. And, and you hear so many people just go on to say like, 
like how much is all these um, posts and um, all these whatever ceremonies you want to call them. They're always talking about like how much does that really do? And people are always saying like, oh, well, why don't you actually make a difference or whatnot? But like, obviously someone heavily involved in the cause, like speak on just like, even if it is just mentioning that you're behind it or you're saying that just to be that point where you're anti-racist, like how important is it even just showing your support for a movement like this in general, even if that's all you're doing at the moment? I think it's, it's so important. Um, every single person that kind of sees the post and hears about it and obviously is seen it shared, it gives them a touch on reality to say like, when I share a story about like how racism affect my life or like a situation where things can go poorly because I'm black or things are different because I'm black, it kind of makes them step back and go, um, wow, things aren't fair. Even though we live in Canada and like it's more prevalent down the US obviously, um, different country down there, things are a little bit, things are a little bit different, but the reality is that things are different through my perspective and my perception. It may not be super extreme, but there is different things that have happened. And like, I could speak on stories about that for hours with people and just say like, hey, this is what happened with me. And this is what happened because I'm a black African, I'm a black player, I'm a black hockey player, I'm a black person in this situation, things are different. And when a person, like a white person, obviously comes out and says like, I'm here to listen, I just wanna like be educated, be like, well, I don't see it. But obviously if you're saying something, I want to understand. So when I get in a situation, I'm educated enough to say, well, that's not okay. And the anti-racism thing where it's, yeah, this is where you put a stop to things. And like, just people talk about kind of saying, like you said, well, I mean, whatever, if you just post, like, why don't you actually make a change? Making a change is making a change to your lifestyle. Um, people always, people always want, want to kind of push back on that, but it's, when you everyone makes that lifestyle change, that's the biggest thing that I'm trying to put behind is like, if I can affect one person to say in a situation where um, discrimination happens, they, they can, they can have the courage to step up and say, that's not okay. And that's, that's enough for me. And if that keeps happening society, examples like that, we can eventually weed, weed the stuff like discrimination, racism, and all this horrible stuff that you hear about that, that can be out of our society. And I think it's something we can do as a generation, especially us coming up on like the right age of like 25, 30, like that's going to be an important thing. hundred percent. No, I agree with what you said there. And I want you to just quickly touch on how much do you think your experience was different from that of a, we'll just say it straight up as it is. How much different do you think your experience was growing up in Canada, playing a predominantly white sport, being obviously at times one of the only African Canadian kids on the hockey team or on the ice? Was it like, how was your experience? Like, do you feel like you were alarmingly treated different? Was it like, like how was it? Like, and be honest, like, tell me, how, like, do you think that there's a long way we need to go, especially at, we'll talk about hockey culture, you and I both being involved there but also as society as a whole, you know, growing up at school and stuff in Calgary, like how, how really was it? And what do you think maybe needs to change? I think the, uh, as a minor hockey player, um, you'd only find problems with guys that were obviously out of town. Um, you know, those small towns, obviously that's, it's a little bit of a different culture, a different, um, situation over there. Like you obviously hear the racial slurs every once in a while when you're a kid and you, you get upset about it and there's not much you can do other than just kind of move on from it. But as like fair treatment, I don't think anything was ever too crazy. Obviously, I do have like, um, like being frank about it, I still believe that 
Um, there's situations where teens were made and stuff like that, that I believe because I was black, like I was kind of put behind uh, a ball of like, um, how do I say it was a, I got labeled kind of as a bad attitude person for almost no reason. And like, I, you can speak on it. And I think everyone says like, at no point in my life I've ever had a bad attitude or I've been a negative person. I'm always like a good person, kind of like um, always there for the team and stuff like that. But there's been a few situations where like, I'll say it's like right now that I was cut because, well, he's a bad attitude. I'm like, where does that come from? Is that from someone else saying, or is it because like you be, because the African-American personality is like, I'm a little more outgoing. Well, I shouldn't be that way because, predominantly white sport you're not supposed to have that kind of emotion and kind of be like stand out as it is like that's the only thing I would say about it obviously but the the treatment within teams and stuff like that like I never felt um, an outcast or anything or stuff like that you always like everyone felt so inclusive and every single thing but obviously it comes from the generation before us I'm like that's the biggest thing is like trying to change that generation before us like take on things you kind of hear about it but like with the way we're growing up now you, those things are kind of getting pushed out of society where it's if you can play you can play it doesn't matter who like how you act and who you are or where you're from like what they want is the best hockey players and then what they want is the best product on the ice and I think um nothing but respect within hockey culture like I felt right at home from day one and I've never felt like on the outside looking in ever since well that's a good that's obviously good to hear. And I'm laughing at you, people saying that you had a bad attitude as a kid. I'm just picturing a young jammer just being competitive, probably <laughs> smashing his stick if he didn't score his fifth goal the night in Pee Wee or something like that. That's what I'm picturing. So I mean, that's what I mean. And it's like the fact that someone actually said, like, it actually bothered me, like, now to the day where it was like, well, everyone heard you had a bad attitude. I'm like, well, who, who said I had a bad attitude? Who, who, who thought that at any point I had a bad attitude? Like, it's just competitive fire. If someone else does that, I'm sure it's like, well, he's competitive. And it's like, that's the only unfair thing that I kind of felt like when I was a kid or growing up kind of through like uh, hockey Alberta and stuff like that. It was like, I, that's the only time I felt kind of unfair and slighted about things. But other than that, it is what it is. Like, that's a pass is a pass. And as long as like moving forward, like it's nothing, it's nothing that I need, should have to worry about. And like, if I do have kids in the future, nothing they should have to worry about. Absolutely. Well, no, like, and huge shout out to you, you know, getting involved with your university for this obvious, like, cause that obviously hits right at home and very noble. And, you know, shout out to Matt Dumba as well, another former teammate of ours, you know, making huge waves there, going down on a kneel there for the anthem in the NHL to start off the playoffs. So, I mean, kudos to both of you, man. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to have you on. I just kind of wanted to, I mean, to get your perspective of all this from, and especially through hockey culture, because, hockey culture has been at the forefront of a lot of craziness going on lately. And it's because hockey culture is so that old boys club that, uh, you know, the, the feathers are never supposed to get ruffled. And I mean, people are starting to change their ideals a bit and, and, and that's starting to change. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of, you know, rolls out here over the next couple months and years, I guess, as we should say with every, all the changes we've seen in the last year. Yeah, no, for sure. Like it's, it's good that change is coming. Like the, the way people are starting to react to change is really good. It's just, it's, it's super exciting to see. And it's just like, you have to keep pushing it. You can't, you can't let this kind of get brushed to the side. You have to keep kind of pushing forward. And like, I'm going to try and be as proactive as I can in that. And I know there's guys like that I'm going to follow behind like Matt to say like, Hey, this is, 
what we want for like the future of black hockey players. And we want to see more of those guys in the NHL and guys getting better. And we're starting to see that, which is real exciting. hundred percent. And I mean, I, I think the more, the more they're playing the game, you know, everyone's included. It's, it's a game that is certainly for everyone. And I mean, it's given me all the relationships in my life, basically. It's basically given me every opportunity in life. So I got nothing but uh, thanks to the game of hockey. And I hope that a lot of other kids keep getting the opportunity to feel the same way, regardless of their situation, who they are, where they come from, what they do, yada, yada, bullshit. Who are you? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And like I said, it's like that hockey diversity alliance. We're trying to create the inclusivity where a black kid wants to play hockey now because it's, it's something where, yeah, you can feel safe at the rank and you feel at home and you just feel like you got to be a part of a team and everyone should get to experience that. And it's, it's real exciting. And I hope I just get to see those strides like come up sooner rather than later. hundred percent, man. Well, thanks for speaking on that. Um, I've had you on for 38 minutes already, buddy. That was, <laughs> that was a lot. I know. And I feel like not. we're barely, we barely peeled the cap back. Like, yeah. I know you said you got an ice time in a bit or anything else you want to say, or you got to go off and skate. Uh, I got to go off and skate, but uh, no, for sure. I'm, I'm glad you have it on. I'm like, uh, I'm glad to see what you're doing, man. It's, it's big things. And I love to see that like this fits your personality and this something I, you got a listener out of me every week and I've been spreading it long to say, give it a listen. So uh, for sure. would love to be back on and like, just, we could talk about things a little bit more, maybe exchange something on a little more lighthearted notes. Uh, I know we have some absurd stories about me and you rooming together that are um that like the people need to hear about you playing back your first goal and stuff in saskatchewan so like we can leave that as a cliffhanger (laughs) me and jamal were road roommates one year in the western league so we actually we we're gonna have to have you come back on because we did get into some serious stuff here and we didn't get a good opportunity to rehash some of our good times together so jamal we'll definitely have you back on i got a couple of the other boys who we played with that year we're talking about possibly wanting to come on so we could have a big Lethbridge Hurricanes episode one day. And, oh, yeah. Uh, terrifying. Hopefully no one involved with the team ever hears that. No, I'm joking, guys. Come <laughs> on. Um, absolutely, buddy. You're the man. Um, hopefully I get to see you soon. We'll talk soon. But uh, regardless of that, good luck uh, with hockey this year. You guys aren't starting until December, eh? Yeah, no, January start. We'll find out if we get a season in October. So fingers crossed. Hopefully things go well. Seriously. Put your mask on, everyone, all right? Yeah, have math on, please. All right, Jamal. Go have a good skate, buddy. Thanks for coming on, and uh, thanks for being the second-ever guest on the show, buddy. No, my pleasure, Harry. Thanks for having me on, dude. Okay, dude, we'll talk soon, okay? Thank you. Yeah, take care, bro. Bye for now. Folks, a man with a plan, and there you have it. The second-ever interview in Project History, and I think it went very, very well. It's such an honor to have him on. Thank you again to Jammer. Watson for coming on. Absolute legend. Um, looking to have him back on soon. We'll cover some different topics, but that was fun. Thanks again to Jamal. And um, yeah, um, apart from that, lots going on in the country. Does it get any attention? No, it doesn't. I'm very confused with our country's media. I mean, all in general, see, we got CBC, what we got Global News, CTV. I mean, that's about it. And everyone, it seems like, is more focused on what's going on in the States or elsewhere in the world. It's honestly quite hard to follow Canadian politics. I have a really smart friend who is, uh, holds a pretty good position with the government and one of the smartest political minds I've ever met. And he literally doesn't, he tell me he doesn't even follow uh, 
Canadian politics barely because it's literally impossible to even follow. There's just no, there's no news on it. Like there's no coverage on Canadian things. And it's just very odd to me. I mean, there's, there's platforms like Canada land and, um, there's a couple other ones, but Canada land comes to mind. Like they're, uh, they're the ones that inspired me to always uh, say independent journalism because they always bring that up on their shows, and I think it's absolutely hysterical. But they did a really good podcast on Thunder Bay and the craziness that's been going on there for years, uh, but especially in the last couple of years. So if you haven't listened to that, definitely check that out. But uh, not a lot of Canadian uh, stuff going on, and I don't think that's crazy to think. Uh, it was funny, right before I recorded this, actually, I was watching... They had Andrew Shear on the CBC. They were interviewing him because the Conservative Party will be choosing a new uh, party leader on Sunday, August 23rd. That'll probably be the day this episode comes out. So that'll be very interesting to see. But I kind of laugh. Like, Shear was acting like a big rig in the interview. He was acting like a boss. He was saying hilarious stuff. But it's like the day before he leaves. Like, it kind of seemed like he was being a big wheel, like the day before he walks out the door. So good for you, buddy. Where was that a year ago? He uh, basically called out the CBC for saying that they don't cover enough Canadian politics. They're too obsessed with what's going on down elsewhere in the States and whatnot. And I do have to agree with him on that. I mean, I don't agree with this guy on, on really that much. He's kind of a clown, to be honest. Just the look of his face makes me want to scream. But... I do agree with him on that, and uh, I don't know the whoever was re- interviewing him just doing a terrible job. It's like they were like they were trying to like I guess back him into a corner, but they kept just lobbing up softballs, and Sheer was just turning the hips on him and smashing them. It was pretty hilarious. But uh, lots going on in Canada, craziness. Honestly, um, we had Bill Morneau resign. I think that was on August 18th, a couple days ago. Uh, said that he would be resigning from his position in the Liberal Party cabinet and his role as MPP for his Ontario riding. Um, He was right in the middle, as we all know, of facing conflict of interest allegations amid the charity ethics scandal with the WE Foundation. And there was uh, reports of a rift between him and the Prime Minister over how to handle the economic recovery. So they apparently had been meeting and uh, it wasn't going too well. So news has come that this man is taking off. And honestly, I don't think it really matters for him. The guy's rich as shit. So I don't think he'll be too uh, bad off for, I mean, leaving this position. He, uh, I mean, he's done some hilarious things. I don't really know much about him. I looked into him a bit. And I mean, this guy's, this guy's a rich guy. I mean, his father started this uh, huge company based out of, I think, somewhere north of Toronto He's done some hilarious things. There was tax changes going to go back into, in 2015. Apparently, he at one time pulled like 600,000 shares over that, over 600,000 shares out of out of his own company that his father created. And in doing so, he saved like 500 grand because there was going to be some tax changes that were going to fiddle with his shares or whatever. But he's done some funny things. I mean, another one I apparently I read up, he uh, was going to make some changes apparently proposed to the pension that were ended up going to, he got called out because they were going to make him a lot richer in the process. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I didn't look into this stuff too much, but I mean, it's kind of alarming when the finance minister is um, kicking rocks amid the biggest financial downturn since the second world war. But I don't know. I don't know. So this Christia Freeland girl who everyone's losing their mind about because they're saying that she's a journalist. She was a former freelance reporter um, but she does have uh, experience. She was the foreign minister for a bit, and she was a big part in renegotiating the NAFTA agreement uh, with the U.S. and Mexico. She also 
I think she previ- she previously held a cabinet position, which was like the international. Uh, she managed the international trade portfolio. So I mean, people are losing it, saying that this girl is not qualified for the job. I don't know if she is. How would I know? But I mean, her, her, if you read her Wikipedia resume, it sounds quite hilarious. I mean, it doesn't sound like someone that should be a financial MP or financial director, the minister, I should say. Um, but apparently, she's more than qualified from people I've read online. But I mean, what do you? She's not going to run. She's not back there with a calculator, crushing numbers herself, saving this country. I mean, she's got a team with her, so I think we'll be fine. I mean, it, realistically, I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference anyway. It just uh, makes Canada look kind of hilarious. But then again, I don't think if, if Canadians don't even know what's going on in Canada, I don't think anyone else in the world does either. So I don't think I think we'll be all right. I think we'll be good here. Um, I got message though. I think I am going to be this new. I'm going to be a new Canadian news source. I think I don't want to cater this show strictly to Canadian news, but maybe I'll fill that void. You know, not, maybe I'll be the informative news. I'll be the independent journalistic take you need in your day. Maybe that's where, I'll, that's where I'll fill the boy. That's what I'll do with my time. But enough of that. Time for a quick segue, folks. Trump's name is being brought up again, and this time it's because of his executive order prohibiting transaction with TikTok's owner ByteDance from mid-September. TikTok's done as of September. We're going to have a bunch of 15 to 17, 18, 19-year-olds going to be unemployed. They're going to be great dancers. They can lip-sing the fuck out of a song, but my God, what are their other skills? Get these kids employed, get them a job, and get them motivated. Because this app's, this app's hitting the tank, and honestly, I think it might be for a good thing. This app's pretty scary, and um, a lot of people are losing it. Uh, a lot of people are firing back at Trump uh, because officials in Washington are concerned that the company could pass data on to a, from American users to the Chinese government, something ByteDance has denied doing. Shocker. It has 80 million active U.S. users. That seems low. But, folks, I think TikTok might be on the way out. And maybe it is. Maybe we're just sending videos to China and they're watching us. And in doing so, who knows? Who knows? I always love um, the argument. People are like, you know, who cares if the government's watching me? I'm not doing anything. The government can watch me all they want. That's not the point. The point is they shouldn't be doing that. They don't need to be doing that. We already live in a surveillance state. And the next thing you know, we're going to have dog collars on. We're going to be walking around the backyard like your, like your shepherd. And you won't be able to leave your own lot. And that's what's coming, folks. So maybe we should ban TikTok. Joking, folks. This is not a political podcast. Um, this is getting dark. It's getting dark fast. So I think uh, the best thing we can do is uh, we're going we're gonna to adjourn. And that's what we're going to call it. We're going to adjourn the program. I uh, had a great episode today, though. I had a lot of fun. Folks, this has been a very good time. Um, I can't wait to have more. We're going to have some different segments on. Uh, definitely going to be some more guests. And I'm just going to keep you guessing. You know, it's a project because we don't, we're don't. we not really sure if there is a direction for this show. Or maybe there shouldn't be. We're just going to kind of go. If you think there should be a direction, let me know. But if you're enjoying it, let me know as well. I mean, this is a movement, folks. And, and we're all on board. Um, I can really feel us. Like we're gravitating towards something special. Something bigger than one. All right, bigger, bigger than bigger than ourselves. All right, so folks, thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to the program. Please share it, give it a like, give it a rating, give it a subscription if you will, folks. We'll be talking to you quite soon. Um, there's debate 
might make some sort of an Instagram profile format. I don't know. I'm terrible at social media, so I wish I was better at that to share with you, the viewer, about what we're doing because I think we're going to have a lot of fun topics on here, a lot of fun guests, a little bit of something for everyone, and it's never going to be the same thing twice. So, folks, thank you so much for listening to this project that we have deemed the project. Thank you so much. Episode 6, we're signing off. Bye for now.